Good morning. Today we're going to set a framework for what I think is going to be the majority of this year's adult Sunday school. Because it's on a topic that is so absolutely incredibly important to how we understand the Christian faith, how we understand ourselves as Christians, how we understand our union with God, how that union of God absolutely transforms us so that the kingdom of God can be made manifest in our lives everywhere that we go. And that's why I've entitled this year's series or this year's focus, Living in Remembrance. Living in Remembrance. And you're going to see today why, as we set up this framework, you'll see today why I've entitled it such. Okay? So, so let's begin. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, the very words that are in the consecration prayers over Holy Eucharist, the bread and the wine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he teaches, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in what? Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as ye shall drink it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance. St. Paul reminds the church of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ at the institution of the Lord's Supper that we would celebrate as Holy Eucharist. What we have to understand that in those same words, do this in remembrance of me, our God set forth the means by which all of His people would truly have the absolute experience of Him in their lives. Starting not only with the liturgy, starting not only with the Eucharist, but as we go out into this world, back out, I should say, into this world, having encountered the absolute experience of the King and His kingdom in the kingdom of God. We go back out into the world to continue to manifest that kingdom. And those words in remembrance have everything to do with this idea. And so it's, by, it's in this series, by your prayers, and by your coming and discussing and receiving, but it's by your prayers that we are going to examine these profound, and I like to call them even majestic words, do this in remembrance of me, as to how they impact our lives every day, every moment, as we, as we live in and from our union reestablished to God the Father through Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit. To what end? That we could experience the reality not only of the King, but of His kingdom made manifest in our lives. So the first thing we need to do, though, is define remembrance. If we're going to live in remembrance, what does in remembrance mean? We're going to take today, this is the whole thing today, is defining remembrance so that we understand this incredible word that Jesus uses. 
Because the understanding of in remembrance, if you will, is necessary to give us kind of the trellis. You ever seen a trellis that, that plants grow through, vines grow through? If we don't understand remembrance, we'll never get anything for the rest of the year. And so today is building that trellis and understanding in remembrance. And so the word remembrance, the word in remembrance is this Greek word right here. Anamnesis. Anamnesis. Okay? Remembrance. And what it means is, easy enough, we think, to remember. Yeah, not the devil, God's in the details. Right? What does it mean to remember? Because a lot of times in our Western culture, if I ask you to remember something, well, you're going to draw back from the recesses of your mind of experiences that you've had. If I said, remember your last birthday, you're going to go back, remember what you, what you did, probably try to explain it to me, and, and, and then right then and there, you share with me that experience that happened a year ago at your last birthday. That's the way that we tend to think of remembrance. But it's so much more than that. However, I actually think it would be beneficial to us to understand remembrance, anamnesis, if we understood the exact opposite. Sometimes we learn about the truth of something by examining its opposite. The opposite word in Greek of anamnesis is amnesia. How do we pronounce it? Amnesia. Amnesia. That's the Greek word spelled the same as we spell it in our English. And what does amnesia mean? Not remembering anything. Yeah, if, 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 if anamnesis is to remember, then amnesia is to forget. And that's where they're opposites. But again, in order to understand anamnesia, what it means in remembrance to remember, we need to explore what happens to a person that has amnesia. Okay? And so let's talk about that for a second. What happens, and let's take an extreme case of amnesia, because there are, extreme, there are many extreme cases of amnesia, they don't always last very long, but extreme cases of amnesia where a person literally forgets everything of the past and all they do is live in the moment. That's true, the completeness of amnesia. Okay? So what do people forget when they have amnesia? What kind of things do they forget? Their name. Their name. Their family. Their family. So they, they, themselves, they, they forget people. What else? Events. Events. I'm sorry? Experiences. Events. Experiences through their life. Right? Sleep. Say that again. Sleep. Sleep near death. In other words, it's, yeah, there's nothing but in the moment for these poor people who are experiencing amnesia. They forget, like you said, people, places, experience. All of this is lost to them. How do you think they feel when they have amnesia? They wake up and they have amnesia not remembering anything. What would you feel? Confused. Confused. Afraid. Afraid. Yeah. Stressed out, somebody said. 
Exactly right. Huh? They want to know who they are. And that's actually. Yeah. You might not even know that you're confused. You might not even know you're confused. You're very happy. Huh? You're just living in the moment. The world is beautiful. You wake up every morning. It's another glorious day. It can be. <laughs> there is a point to that. <laughs> But a lot of times what they find with people of amnesia is they are, they are dealing with anxiety and fear because there's a lot of people in their room. Who are you? And without any experiences in their mind's eye. I think, I think Pat said it, and this is very critical. Studies have shown, scientific studies over those who have amnesia, they have shown that people who have this severe amnesia for this time, they suffer a crisis of a loss of identity. Think about this. Why would someone with amnesia suffer a crisis of identity? What is it? Yes, yes. Because if you don't remember anything, my husband had it for three years. Oh, my goodness. He didn't know anything. Yeah. Our identity is built on remembering. Our identity, good and bad, okay? Our identity is built on every experience that we've had, good or bad. Our identity is built on the people that we know, good or bad. You see? All of these locked in our memory that we bring from the past and live in in today. That be, does that sound accurate to you? That's how we have our identity. But those with amnesia, all connection to the past and the ability to experience anything from the past. You know, let me ask you a question. You know, there are things in this life that bring about the experience of the past in the now. Okay? What, what kind of things tend to remind you of something in the past where you kind of experience it again in the now? Pictures. Pictures? Did you say pictures? Pictures of someone? Smells. Or places? Smells. Smells? Music. Music. See, yeah, music, music, absolutely. I can go back to whatever age I was listening to various music. It'll take me back there for a moment, right? But someone with amnesia, amnesia, Someone with amnesia has nothing to draw on. They cannot, there's nothing to bring into the presence that tells them who they are. You see, as a human person, there's nothing in the past they can bring into the present to experience it in the now and grow from it and to continue to become. That is the opposite of what Jesus said when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Everything we talked about, whereas a person with amnesia doesn't have anything in the past to bring into the presence, into the present, the person with amnesis, what is in the past is absolutely brought into the presence for the experience in the present. And that is what our Lord is saying. And I have an idea I'd like to do to kind of. Let's now jump from the opposite to actual amnesis. Okay? And I want to I wanna show you a few different things. Chris and Yanetta, would you guys come up here with me for a second? There's no script. There's no script. And I'm not going to embarrass you. 
Yeah, just stand right there. You're fine. Okay. Christian Yanetta. Do you remember your wedding? The wedding day. Which one? Now, when I... Right. <laughs> Maybe I should specify. Um, and Chris, by the way, when I asked, do you remember your wedding? You answer yes, you let her talk. <laughs> but, so, okay. Tell us a little bit about your wedding day. And y'all can take turns. Just talk about your wedding day a little bit. Remember it for us. Okay. The one in America, I didn't know anybody but Chris. So I walk up the aisle, and there's a whole church full of people that I've never met. So and where was it done? In New Orleans. In New Orleans? What church? Mm -hmm. St. Henry. St. Henry's, yeah. Just nod your head, Chris. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, and we had a brass band, and we had a lot of good food to yes. eat, and it was in, the reception was on St. Charles. Okay. But, but the joke is that... The combo was called. My first wedding also happens to be her first wedding. We got a legal wedding in Holland. Okay. So if you count that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. legal that wedding was, in Holland. What I said but the me. ceremony took place in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, well governmental, governmentally wise, in a sense, I, I count, to me personally, I think that's like a license to get married because I told her, I was like, well, you're not married unless you do it in the church. See? Mm -hmm. She's like, what? You know, so it's like, well, in a sense, we could have our cake eat, eat it too because both. Families wanted to go to the wedding. Yeah. I'm so, from the Netherlands, so we had a picnic by the lake. In Holland, we had the license part, which they considered to be the true wedding. Mm -hmm. And right. then we had the church part, which we considered to be the true wedding. So we were able yeah. to kind of <laughs> connive both sides of the family to make Positioning. it. Like it's position. Positioning, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Are you legally okay. married in the U.S.? That's <laughs> 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 well, a good question because, uh, yeah, long story. Yes, but yes. <laughs> priest just had a cardiac. Hang on. <laughs> there was a question whether or not the priest did file the, the uh, actual license or not, and that was like, yeah. that's a whole nother so to do. So we don't really know. <laughs> There's a lot of complications to our story. Yeah. <laughs> we have got to bless this marriage, people. We have got to bless this marriage. Married in the sight of God. That's it. That's it. That's it. So, Fairly big crowd, beautiful church. I take it. Talk, talk, to describe the church a little bit to me. Well, it, it was actually a church where I went to grammar school. It was like right around the block, and the church had actually closed down for a period of time because a lot of the uh, parishioners in that area just kind of dissipated. You got to remember, New Orleans. Sometimes you'd have one Catholic church right across the street from the other, like literally across the street from the other. One was for the Irish immigrants, one was for the German immigrants. Yeah. And you would just have and get that much people that were going to church that they could support these massive structures literally across the street, same denomination, just different ethnic groups. Stay with the question. Yeah. Back to the no, question. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Anyhow, so that, it was a church that would in a sense that had been abandoned, but we had known the priest and actually the priest smoked a lot of cigarettes before our wedding. Our stop, wedding stop, made him very nervous. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> okay, I'm going to call TMI on that one. So, now. so here's... So they can remember. Alright, so, but let's watch what happened. Okay? When I said, do you remember your wedding? They did it in terms, and rightly so, that all of us would. 
they went back into their mind and started thinking of all the things. The Holland, the, the New Orleans, the church, the priest, the cigarettes. <laughs> no, they're remembering all of these different things. And they're describing them to us. And it's granting us at least a partial experience of what happened many years ago at the wedding in the today. Right? Okay. Now, what I want to show you is this. I asked, from our Western culture, do you remember your wedding? And we got that response. But if I had asked a couple in Jesus' day, using this word anamnesis, do you remember your wedding? Let me tell you how it would have gone different. Culturally, the way they understood this word. Chris and Yanetta would have come up. Chris and Yanetta, go stand right here facing me, please. They would have taken us, if they could, to the place of their marriage, the place of their wedding. They would have gathered together as many people as they could that were at the wedding, including the one who united them. And they would reenact as much of that experience as possible. And all of us would be able to join them in an actual experience in the now of something that happened how many years ago? 23. 23 years ago. What happened in 23 years ago comes into our present for the experience of it. And now we can share much greater in the actual experience of the wedding of these two than when they went back in the recesses of their mind and simply tried to describe it intellectually to us. Do you see the difference? Y'all can sit down. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you were going to go another reenact. <laughs> well, I almost need to for what I heard. So, so when Jesus took bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he did the same with the wine and he said, do this. Every time you gather, do this. In remembrance of me. What he is really saying to his people is that when you gather together, we will have another Lord's Supper. We will have another Lord's Supper where I will be in your midst. And I will gather my people with me. And I'm going to go in one step further. Our Lord makes a way. When he says, I will gather my people with me, that's his people in heaven and earth. I will gather them together and I will break bread and I will bless it. And I will take the wine and I will bless it. And I will be present with you for the experience of fellowship with me. I with you, all of my people with me. He ordained in that moment. He created for us the blessed sacrament and gave it purpose. And that purpose is that through the Eucharist, His people will experience the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ in their midst. We say this all the time around here. We come and we realize what we say in Mass. We come to Mass and we offer what? Ourselves. And Christ comes to Mass, the liturgy. And what do you think He offers? Himself in no less a way, in no less a way than we offer 
ourselves. The experience is not simply from that night 2,000 plus years ago and a reenactment occurred like we talked about. Even that example I gave you, if I went to someone back in Jesus' time and said, do you remember your wedding? And they would gather everybody together for the experience. Even that doesn't say enough about true remembrance and anesis. Because if that's all we did, and we had the reenactment, and we experienced that act 2,000 years ago, it stops there. But what happens in Eucharist is that through the fellowship of Christ, the offering of ourselves to Him and Himself to us, we are living and breathing in the continued experience of the Christ who is saving our soul. Which means every Last Supper, so to speak, every Eucharist, every divine liturgy we come to is old and new at the same time. Because Christ has come, and I love the statement, Behold, I make all things what? And every time we gather together with Him in Eucharist as He has promised to be present, Every time is the absolute continued experience of Him. And what is that experience? Whatever need be in that moment, in time, for the healing of your soul. Maybe it's physical healing. That can happen. Maybe according to God's will. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe it is released from the bondage of the besetting sins that have haunted you for so long. If Christ made Himself incarnate through flesh and blood and dwelled among men, and those were the very ministries that He did, the ministries that by His compassion He steps into our world and He takes the broken and He mends them. He purposed to continue His incarnate ministry in and through His church, to His church first, and for the sake of not only their salvation, but for the sake of the life of the world. I want you to start asking, I don't want answers right now, but I want you to start asking yourself some questions. If the Holy One of Israel the King of kings, the Lamb of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is that absolutely present with us in the Eucharist and in the liturgy and in the timelessness where heaven and earth join together? A, how would that change in the way that you approach it? Do you even think about these things? I'm not saying as a put-down, challenging you, stretching you. Do we even think and consider when we get up on Sunday morning what we are going to experience? What we are setting ourselves towards for the experience? I think it's important for us to begin considering it. By the way, that's part and parcel of what we'll be talking about, certainly within the next month, is how do we prepare ourselves for anamnesis to occur. For us to experience it. It will occur, forgive me. For us to experience all that Christ offers in His presence, His absolute presence with us 
and among us, teaching us, guiding us, healing us, directing his church. So that when we leave the divine liturgy, we go on the mission of our church. If through anamnesis, Christ and his kingdom is manifest in the divine liturgy, then what do we go from here to manifest everywhere in the world? Our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And if we start actually believing in faith, that this is our faith, because it is. If we start believing in faith and living into that faith by the help of God and by the grace of God, how our lives and the lives of those around us might change drastically. And we need to be considering these things. Let me tell you where we're going to go. Does it... Do we understand, at least in concept, anamnesis as remembrance? Did that, does that help? The things we've done, did it lock, I hope it locks some things in. But we'll continue to remind you, don't worry. Okay? Because we have a journey to go on here. Because where we're going from here, the hub of the Christian experience is what we're talking about today. The hub of the Christian experience is in the divine liturgy. Yes, Pam. Okay, I just it just came to me. I just remembered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The word to remember. Yes. In the, in the Bible, that a lot of people, especially non-Orthodox, don't understand is when you receive communion, it says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Yes. It doesn't mean just to think about it, which yes. they think that means means to actually participate in it. Participate in it. Exactly. That's another good place. Active players in an absolute dance of relationship right then and there. Very good. Very good. The church has always seen the divine liturgy as being the hub. Why? Because there is experienced the eternal worship of God with God present of those both on the earth and the saints that are in heaven and the angelic hosts that are in heaven all joining together in the eternal worship of God. This is what God has purposed. And so there we find, in fact, you're going to hear me quote Father Alexander Schmemann, and I'm going to... I meant to bring some books in just to show you some wonderful books I think you should read. I'll tell them to you in a minute. The Father Alexander Schmemann, he says very clearly that the church has always taught that in the liturgy, the fullness of the kingdom of God and the experience of Christ, he uses a great word, he says, the fullness of God and the experience of Christ is actualized in the liturgy. In other words, it's realized in full. And there's no other place on earth... And there's no other moment in time that the kingdom of God and all about our salvation and everything we believe is a faith and the experience with Christ to the salvation of man. There's no other point in time, moment or place in time where that's more actualized than in the liturgy when we're together as the body of Christ with the one who saves us. But where we're going from here, so we're going to focus on that for the first number of weeks. To see how to see the liturgy in that way. And why. And how to approach it. And then how to go from it. Because after we go to liturgy, there's a number of things that we'll cover 
that stem from that experience of the wholeness of the kingdom of God. For example, we'll look at all of the sacraments that Christ has given for the sake of our life being in remembrance of Him, where He steps right into our time, touches us and heals us and makes us more like Himself. The seven sacraments of the church are baptism and chrismation, Eucharist, holy orders, the ordination, deacons and priests and bishops and hierarchs, uh, confession and absolution, holy matrimony, the anointing of the sick. Those are the seven sacraments of the church that Christ has instituted to manifest Himself in His glory in our lives by saving us. So we're going to look at those. But also, from the liturgy is where is founded our individual and family lives of prayer. It all stems from our experience with God and then going into our homes on the daily basis and continuing in that blessed experience where Christ makes Himself present in our homes for the same reasons that He made Himself present in the divine liturgy. So we're going to look at prayer and a life of prayer and how to live it, how to see prayer. How does the church perceive prayer according to Ananesis? Living in remembrance. And then we'll go from there to talk about the spiritual disciplines that the church has given us, which are given to us to connect us all the more to the experience of Christ in all of these things. And those spiritual disciplines consist of fasting. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Prayer accompanied with the, I don't even like to say the reading of Holy Scripture, the devouring of Holy Scripture, where we develop such a hunger and a passion to read the Holy Scriptures in the eyes of the church fathers so that we learn to recognize the active voice of the shepherd who's in our lives at all times, guiding us, leading us. Okay? Fasting, prayer, Scriptures, tithing. And here's a church discipline for you. It actually is attending this. We don't attend liturgy out of a feeling of being coerced or out of any kind of judgment if we don't attend. We approach liturgy and we stress attendance to liturgy. Why? Because of what I just described to you that it is. Here we gather and Christ with us. Why would we want to miss it? Why would we want to miss that contact with our Lord that heals the soul? It's not about some obligation as much as it is invitation. Why would we say no? And that's why the church considers even church attendance a spiritual discipline that works in conjunction with Christ and that synergy between He and us for the salvation of our souls. Any last thoughts or questions? For today. Okay. Next week I have something special for you that is out of any of this. Next week our head of school, Seraphim Dankert, and also our board president of the school, Lisa Kerr. They are coming to be introduced to you, number one. I'm going to introduce them during announcements after Mass. But then I've asked Seraphim Dankert to come in and speak to our church on 
the heartbeat of our school, the vision of our school, where we are as a school, where we are going as a school. And I'm going to tell you, as I have gotten to know this man, I am so thankful and truly believe that the Lord has placed the right person at the right time. He is a devout man of God, a wonderful family man. He understands classical education, but even greater, he understands how our faith, the Orthodox faith and classical education are so married and beautifully together that it stands to absolutely transform the lives of every student that's over there. And he has a passion for just that. And so I'm going to have him come and I'm going to give him the Sunday school to speak to everyone. You need to know our school. You need to pray for our school and know how to pray for our school. And you need to know the wondrous things that are going on in the lives of people over there. And so I'm going to make that available to you next week. And the week after that, we're going to get back to this. Okay. Let's stand.